The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. on Wall Street, and here is your top five at five. From payrolls to inflation, attention still on the Fed. As we find out, inflation is not coming down that much. Developing over the weekend, the U.S. shooting down a fourth high-flying object. Could this unidentified situation soon become a threat to your money? Too little, too late, when Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon is telling his inner circle about their biggest job cuts in years. Plus, a possible red flag for stocks. What investors are doing for the first time since 16 is turning some heads on the street. And later on, one for the record books as the Kansas City Chiefs defeat the Philadelphia Eagles, playing their second Super Bowl win in four years. It is all happening on this Monday, February 13th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and as always, welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Before we get started on the official show, a quick shout out to the Kansas City Chiefs and all your fans. You are 2023 Super Bowl champs, a textbook, sec- well, 2022, really, a textbook second half and what looked like a very painful 26-yard scramble by MVP Patrick Mahomes to keep his team in the game at a gimpy ankle. In the end, it would be a defensive touchdowns, a costly Eagles penalty, and a field goal that would decide the game final in Arizona. Chiefs 38, Eagles 35, and yes, if you stayed up and watched the whole thing and are watching or listening live to Worldwide Exchange right now, we feel you. Because we did the same thing. It could be a long day, but still worth it. All in all, a fantastic game. The ads, not so much. The game, really good. All right. More on that in just a bit. And, of course, probably throughout the day here on CBC. But right now, let's do what we do, and that is kick off the hour with a check on stock futures and how your money's looking right now. And it is mixed. We are seeing NASDAQ futures up 27, Dow futures down about 20. Now, this after the first rough week for the year, every major index ended the week with a loss. The Nasdaq snapping a five-week win streak and, again, logging its first down week of the year. In bonds, yields maybe down a touch right now, but they were, they were up from where they were a week ago. The 10-year yield at 3.73%. So I hate to say it, but you're likely to see mortgage costs, maybe auto loan costs continue to rise. The inflation in borrowing is the highest that we have seen probably in decades. Oil turning a little bit lower, but it did jump 8% last week. You've got China's reopen. You've got demand perhaps growing in certain parts of the world. But right now, the price of WTI crude, what we buy here in America, is still below 79 a barrel at 78.66. And like stocks, Bitcoin and Ether also coming down in the last couple of days. Bitcoin had been above 23K. It is not anymore. It's at 21,600. That's what's happening here. Let's get your check on the overnight action in Asia as well as Europe. Juliana Tadelbaum is standing by 
in our London newsroom. Juliana, good morning. Brian, good morning to you, and I wish you the best as you try to make it through the day on little sleep. Um, as for the market action over here, we've got a fairly negative handover from Asia, in particular the Nikkei 225, the Japanese market to pulling back by about 0.9%. As investors there brace for what is expected to be the new governor nomination coming through tomorrow, Kazuo Ueda expected to be nominated, according to reports, and investors have been dialing back expectations of a big change in policy. Policy. Um, but with inflation and seller accelerating, there is the possibility that down the line, Ueda could finally set the Bank of Japan on a path to change policy and begin raising interest rates. Um, let's take a look at the yen and how the currency is faring right now. We've got uh, some yen weakness, so dollar trading firmly versus the Japanese currency, up by about nine tenths of a percent. 132.59 is the level. So keep an eye on Japan in the overnight session that is to come. Shifting gears to Europe, here's the picture. We've got green across the board. So in contrast to the pullback in much of Asia, the Zetra DAX up three-tenths of a percent. The CAC 40 over in France up about six-tenths of a percent. We got some interesting new forecasts out from the European Commission this morning. They lifted their growth forecast for the region and now say the Eurozone will avoid a recession this year. Also in terms of inflation, they say it has peaked. We are going to get some fresh inflation data out this week from France and the U.K., so a lot to look out for in addition to all that's on the U.S. economic calendar. Brian? A lot there, a lot here as well. Juliana, thank you very much. In fact, why don't we now get a check on some of this morning's key headlines on a Monday, including some good news on the jobs front in Michigan with a big new battery plant. Pippa Stevens here with that and more. Pippa, good morning. Good morning, Brian. Well, Ford is expected to announce plans to build a more than $3 billion lithium battery plant in Michigan. Sources tell Reuters that announcement could come as soon as today. Ford will own and operate the plant with Chinese battery maker CATL as the technology partner. It is expected to eventually employ at least 2,500 workers. And Meta has reportedly delayed finalizing the budgets of multiple teams as the company prepares another round of job cuts. The Financial Times, citing two Meta employees, says there has been a lack of clarity surrounding the budgets and future headcounts in recent weeks. Meta cut more than 11,000 jobs back in November. And the markets have had a good start to the year, but investors are exiting funds that track U.S. stocks. The latest data from Refinitiv Lipper shows they've pulled $31 billion from mutual funds and ETFs in the past six weeks. That's the longest streak of weekly outflows since last summer and the most pulled from domestic stock funds to start a year since 2016. Over that same period, they funneled about $12 billion into international equity funds, $24 billion into taxable bond funds and $3 billion into muni bond funds. So I guess, Brian, investors are looking abroad. Yes, they are. And as Juliana just said, really inflation, feds, central banks, kind of all a, a global story tied together. Pippa Stevens, we'll see you back in a few minutes. Thank you. All right now to a developing story and one that we are all watching closely. I think fair to say it's captivating much of the nation. It certainly is with me and theories are running wild for the third time in four days or the fourth time in just nine days. The United States military has shot down what they call an unidentified high-altitude flying object. Now, the latest was over Lake Huron yesterday between Michigan and Canada at the direction of President Biden. NBC's Bree Jackson joining us now from D.C. with what we know and also maybe much of what we don't. Bree. 
Good morning, Brian. Yeah, a lot of questions surrounding uh, these flying objects, but the Pentagon is declining to describe these recent objects as balloons. Now, as you mentioned, this is the fourth takedown that we've seen recently. And lawmakers here on Capitol Hill say they're being left in the dark about the situation. The U.S. military shooting down a fourth unidentified high-altitude object Sunday, this time over Lake Huron. What's gone on the last, uh, you know, two weeks or so, 10 days, has been uh, nothing short of um, craziness. And uh, the military needs to have a plan to not only determine uh, what's out there, but determine the dangers that go with it. President Biden ordering the takedown after military officials raised concerns about the object's path and altitude, saying it was a safety flight hazard and a threat due to its potential surveillance capabilities. This marks the third object blasted out of the sky in just three days. And comes a week after a Chinese surveillance balloon had Americans' eyes glued to the sky. They do appear somewhat trigger-happy, although this is certainly preferable to the permissive environment that they showed when the Chinese spy balloon was coming over some of our most sensitive sites. Military leaders say the Pentagon has been more closely scrutinizing U.S. airspace. Officials are still collecting data to determine what the recent objects are as bipartisan calls for transparency grow. Why it's taking so long to, for number one, for, for me personally, to identify these objects, too. Why is it taking so long for them to be shot down? In the absence of information, people's anxiety leads them into uh, potentially destructive areas. So I do hope that very soon the administration has a lot more information for all of us on what's going on. Lawmakers are pushing for a briefing on the unidentified flying objects. The Pentagon continues to search for debris and answers about their nature and purpose. And defense officials say there was no indication of aliens with these recent takedowns. Brian. I mean, the fact they're even answering that and addressing the alien part is fascinating. Um, why does it seem, Bree, that all these things, I guess at least one was a balloon. We don't know really what the other ones may or may not be. They could be balloons. It could be something else. Why are they all suddenly appearing? Are there any official, any official word on this? No, I mean, it's still unclear right now. A defense official tells NBC News that NORAD, the North American Aerospace Defense Command, is looking at more data now than ever before. Uh, so it could be that these latest objects were always there, but we are just now seeing them. But officials continue to investigate this and are looking through the debris and trying to figure out what these objects are and where they came from. Brian? Yeah, and you do wonder, Bree, if there's an if there is another one, as opposed to shooting it down, maybe sort of track it, keep it safe so there's no planes around it, and maybe try to capture it or catch it or whatever it might be at some point to study it a little bit further. Bree Jackson, what a story. Bree, have a great day. Thank you very much. Weird, folks, right? And, of course, without in, any information, it just allows all kinds of crazy stuff to go around. Anyway, all right. We have got a lot to do on this busy Monday, and when we come back, an exclusive one-on-one -on -one conversation with J.P. Morgan's chair of global research, Joyce Chang. Her take on the state of the global markets and where her team is recommending you put your money to work. Plus, former BP CEO Lord John Brown is here. We'll talk energy, oil, and the billions Europe is spending on green energy. Got a lot of big guests for you ahead. Dow futures down a touch, NASDAQ up a bit. WEX rolls on right after this.
from their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome or welcome back and good uh, post-Super Bowl Monday to everybody out there. All right, well, after a big start to the year, is the stock market rally starting to fizzle out? And if so, is it because some investors may be coming around to what the Fed has been telling us, sorry, beating us over the head with, that rates will peak above 5% and certainly are not going to be cut this year, maybe not next year? We just got a revision to the December inflation numbers that showed inflation is actually hotter than we even thought. And that could be confirmed with new inflation data, both on the consumer side and the producer side this week. So with all that in mind, what do we do right now? Let's bring in Vance Howard, CEO and fund manager at Howard Capital Management. Vance, good to see you again. And uh, happy Super Bowl Monday. If you stayed up like we did, you're just kind of powering through on caffeine and luck at this point. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know whether to be more surprised by what happened last week. Oh, my gosh, we fell. Or by the fact that suddenly the calendar flipped and every stock that everybody was selling last year suddenly became the greatest investment in the world. People are too too bearish. I mean, they're just too bearish. you got to take some of this negative news out. Our proprietary indicator, the HCM byline, went positive for the first full time, meaning the long-term trend changed about three or four weeks ago. So we've been buying these pullbacks. I think you need to get a little bit more optimistic. Yeah, inflation's out there, and the Fed's doing their job to try to control it. But there's a lot of wonderful things going on in this country and a lot of wonderful companies making a lot of money. We see a tremendous amount of opportunity here, Brian. I'm, I'm bullish. I, you know, I, everybody's so negative, but I'm bullish. That's because the HCM byline's positive. The trend turned. And it tur- the trend turned back up. And, Brian, to be successful at that, this, you're going to have to do what's not comfortable sometimes. Yeah, it certainly wasn't comfortable last year, and then all of a sudden everything changed. I don't know if it was tax loss selling to end the year or just garbage buying this year. A lot of the worst companies rallied, but there's a lot of good companies out there. And, you know, we love to talk on CNBC, Vance, as you know, about Apple. We talk about Tesla all the time. There's a lot of great companies out there we probably don't talk enough about. One of those you think is there is a New Jersey-based refining company. No one believes that, but there is. It's called PBF Energy, and you think that is a good bet. You know, it, Brian, it plays into our theme that we think small cap and mid caps are going to do pretty well this year. And, you know, they're a, they're a good refinery. They're, they're doing a good job. We think oil and gas is going to be very good this year. They're paying a dividend. The balance sheet looks strong. We think it'll break back up to that $50 range and potentially push up in the $55, $60 range in the near term, probably in the next, I don't know, uh, sometime this year. So we think it's a good optimistic play. It's a little bit different. 
you know, Brian, you and I, we talk a lot about the big stocks in the video, which we like quite a bit, but you know, which run quite a bit. So pullbacks are viable. But here's a nice little mid cap that people can invest in that we think's got some legs. Another one of those might be a, a Boise Cascade, another one that, that fits sort of your screening metrics. We think of them as a paper and it's kind of a packaging company. I'm not sure I've actually mentioned the name Boise except in reference to Idaho for a couple <laughs> of years, Vance. It is. Well, you know, they're one of the largest ma uh, manufacturers of wood products. We're pretty bullish on the construction side of this equation, too. We think houses, housing is going to get pretty tight. We think the construction sector and the building sector is going to you know, have a pretty good year in 2023. Boise Cascade is a good way to play this. It's got a good balance sheet, nice dividend. It's just a strong, well-managed company. I think people need to look at it. And also, from a technical standpoint, it's pulled back, and it looks like it's ready to be viable right here and ready to, to, try, to shoot, try to shoot up higher. Vance Howard, we really appreciate getting up early post-Super Bowl. When they called you and booked you, did you realize it was the Super Bowl, Vance? You're like, okay, that's the Monday after the Super Bowl, or just forget about it. Be like, it sounds no, good, and realize, what did I do? Yeah, I thought about it like you, Brian. I'm, I'm, you know, in my next pot of coffee, I'll, I'll remember this, this, this morning. <laughs> I was scraping off the Eagles face paint just 10 minutes before the show launched, Vance Howard. Appreciate yeah, I just took my hat off. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. That's it. Thank you very much. Vance Howard, Boise Cascade, and PBF. All right. Thank you, Coffee, by the way. All right, still on deck. What Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon is telling his inner circle about the biggest banked job cuts in years. Plus, former BP CEO Lord John Brown, he'll be here. We'll talk about energy, energy transition, Europe's ongoing energy woes, and a giant bill Europe is facing. A lot going on. Grab another cup of coffee for yourself. We're back right after this. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right, welcome, welcome back. Let's get a check on this morning's other big story. In addition to last night's Super Bowl victory by the Kansas City Chiefs, find out what's going on with NBC's Francis Rivera in New York. With that and more, no doubt, powered by caffeine and good faith this morning like we all are, Francis. Well, th that is the case, Ryan. Good morning to you. Yeah, the Kansas City Chiefs are your Super Bowl 57 champions. Toppling the Philadelphia Eagles 38-35, to history was made at State Farm Stadium where Philadelphia's Jalen Hurts and Kansas City's Patrick Mahomes became the first two black quarterbacks to face off in the big game. Multiple Super Bowl records were set, including the longest punt return by the Chiefs' Kadarius Toney. And the Eagles' Jalen Hurts became the first player in NFL history to rush for two or more touchdowns and throw for another. He also broke a Super Bowl record for most rushing yards by QB beating Titans quarterback Steve McNair's 2,000 record. The Eagles led heading into the second half, but the Chiefs stormed back. A field goal sealed the deal with just seconds left in the game. For the lead. And 
around despite playing with an injured ankle. Mahomes threw for 182 yards and three touchdowns. He took home the game MVP title for the second time in his career and became just the 13th quarterback to win multiple Super Bowls. Rihanna ran the town in Glendale, Arizona for a show-stopping Super Bowl halftime performance. So yeah, she worked, worked, worked her way through 12 fan favorite hits, including We Found Love, Umbrella, and Diamonds. Rihanna also surprised the crowd with a major announcement. Her rep confirming to NBC News she is pregnant with her second child. After cradling her baby bump during the set, I got everybody talking. Is she pregnant? Is she not? Is that a baby bump? She confirmed it. So that was her big news. And now for Kansas City, a whole lot celebrating. And Wednesday is their big parade day, Brian. Yeah, and, and Philly bumming scenes of just people just despondent in the streets. They're rocking in Kansas City. It was a great game, by the way. Francis Rivera, thank you very much. Sure thing. All right, still to come here on CNBC, former BPCO Lord John Brown on the state of global energy markets and what Europe maybe could learn from the United States. But first, we're also watching shares of Adani Group again this morning. Moody's over the weekend lowering its outlook for four of the Indian conglomerate's company, citing a, quote, significant and rapid decline in their market values. Among the companies on the chopping block for Moody's, Adani Green Energy, Adani Transmission, Adani Electricity, Mumbai. Worldwide exchange, back. Dow futures off 44, and we're back after this. Gearing up for another busy week with the latest read on inflation high on the docket and exclusive conversation in moments with J.P. Morgan's Joyce Chang on where her team is putting money to work. Also watching the skies as the military shoots down a fourth bizarre and unidentified flying object. Americans want answers. We have the latest and whether this could soon become a markets event. And Goldman Sachs CEO talking job cuts regrets and not taking an axe to headcount sooner. The surprising new comments on this Monday, February 13th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Welcome and welcome back and good post-Super Bowl Monday morning, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. Just a reminder, by the way, tomorrow is Valentine's Day. Now, we got all Super Bowl-brained, but, you know, tomorrow's Valentine's Day. Just prep. All right. Let's get see how your money is prepping to shape up on this Monday, and that is kind of a mixed trade, I guess. No real indication. NASDAQ futures, they're up 25. Dow futures down 44. So at this point, I think flip a coin, kind of see which way the market's going to go overall. By the way, we're coming off the first down weeks for the year for the major averages. Kind of a red-hot start to the year, completely the inverse of what happened last year. Last week, however was the first down week for the major averages in 2023. Bond yields and likely borrowing costs keep going up. Inflation does remain red hot. The 10-year yield ticking up. It's at 3.73%, up about, I don't know, 10 basis points from last week. So that means mortgage costs are, and maybe car loans, things like that, are likely to rise a bit in the days and weeks ahead. Just something to pay attention to if you want to go borrow a big chunk of money. Goldman Sachs CEO out with some interesting comments and another crypto exchange getting government attention and not in the good way. Pippa Stevens here with that and more key headlines on this Monday. Pippa. 
Hey, Brian. Well, Goldman Sachs, the CEO, reportedly says he wishes he made the difficult decision to slash jobs at the investment bank sooner rather than later. According to the Financial Times, David Solomon told a private gathering of Goldman executives he takes responsibility for not being more aggressive in slowing hiring and reducing headcount last year, adding that, quote, every bond in his body was telling him to do so. Goldman announced last month it was cutting 3,200 jobs, roughly six and a half percent of its workforce. Nikola is reportedly starting work on hydrogen plants as a part of its plans for a fueling network for zero emissions trucks in the U.S. and Canada. The journal says Nikola is working to have enough fuel for about 7,500 heavy duty trucks by 2026. And the Wall Street Journal also reporting the SEC has told crypto firm Paxos Trust it plans to sue the company for violating investor protection laws. The paper adds that in a notice to Paxos, the SEC alleges that Binance USD, a digital asset that Paxos issues and lists, is an unregistered security. And just a short time ago, Binance's CEO tweeting Paxos has been ordered by New York State to stop minting any new Binance stablecoins and that Paxos has assured its Binance USD stablecoin reserves are fully covered by Paxos's bank reserves. Brian? Just more attention, and not in the good way. I mean, it really is incredible what's happening in crypto the last couple of months. Pippa Stevens, thank you very much. All right, to Europe now, and a warning from Germany, Denmark, and five other European Union nations. They're calling on Brussels this morning, the capital of the EU Parliament, not to rush into major changes to the bloc's electricity market. That in response to the recent energy crisis, still ongoing, by the way. The EU has been drafting sweeping changes with the aim of theoretically protecting consumers from fossil fuel price spikes and avoiding a repeat of the surge in utility bills triggered in part by Russia's invasion of Ukraine, although the problem was going on well before that. This is European governments as a whole have now spent nearly $850 billion and rising to deal with the current crisis, up more than 12% from a year earlier and nearly equal the EU's $800 billion COVID recovery fund. In fact, costs for the European energy crisis are going to go up past what they spent on COVID. Joining us now with this and more is Lord John Brown. He is the former CEO of BP and current chairman of Beyond Net Zero. And somebody I think, Lord Brown, good to have you on. I think I will see you out at the Zero Week conference in Houston in a couple of weeks. Um, is this, is the energy crisis, and by the way, we've gotten great, the weather's been terrific, storage levels far better than anybody expected, so we will have natural gas to get through the year, that's very good news, but I do wonder, Lord Brown, is the energy crisis morphing into a financial crisis of sorts? Well, certainly I will see a financial redistribution. Uh, energy producers, notably the state oil companies and the countries with oil and gas, uh, will be uh, getting much more cash flow than they ever expected to get. Uh, I think we see this uh, uh, crisis still around because demand is still picking up post, post-COVID, notably in China. So we have demand rising and supply being very tight. So far, so good. But, uh, you know, we take it step by step over the year, in particular, to the end of this year. 
And it's, it is good. The storage levels are good, although, again, we're sort of counting on weather perfection. I'm not sure anybody predicted that Mother Nature would cooperate the way that she certainly has. I mean, it was nearly 60 U.S. degrees in New York City just a couple of days ago, which is mid-February. It's, it's unheard of. It's been warmer in Europe as well, Lord Brown. How long can Europe continue to spend this kind of money? What if this goes on for years? Well, uh, it won't go on for years, I don't think, because in the end, uh, there will be supplies uh, opened up and more, uh, more, more transportation of energy from places that have it to Europe, for example, and, and to the UK. So I don't think it'll go on for years. This is a one to two year problem uh, that will eventually sort itself out. Uh, and on the very long run, it changes the whole mix of energies uh, that people will want. So I, I think that, that that's something that will, in the end, cure. Weather uh, is unpredictable. And certainly with climate change uh, now being very close to uh, a critical point, uh, it's very unpredictable, very unpredictable and indeed. And it's not true to say that the temperature will always be higher. It may well be lower, as happened in the U.S. Uh, recently and happens all over the world. Very unpredictable. What is predictable, though, Lord Brown, is human response and the reticence of significant change. And I'll give you an example. I, I've been reporting on this story for a while. I was in the UK prior to the to the Ukraine invasion. This is not a the Russia invasion made it a lot worse, but the problem was was building well before then. I was in Germany and they were talking about constructing all these wind more wind turbines in the northern part of the country. But there were so many permitting and regulatory issues and public opposition they couldn't build the power lines to get the wind power to the richer southern part of the country. And I you know, kind of laughed sarcastically because that happens in the United States. You might be familiar with the term nimbyism, not in my backyard. Uh, unless we get those hurdles solved, how are we going to build out anything of significance? So the good news is at least people understand where the issues are. You have to wait for a very long time to get a wind farm offshore in the North Sea connected because there are bottlenecks to do with regulation, to do with the ability to cable, the ability to get from a local distribution company to the national grid and back again. So lots of issues are around and they've just got to be sorted out. Otherwise, productivity in this area will get worse and worse. So the electricity grid was never uh, sorted out, never designed to do what it's doing at the moment. So there needs to be a big infrastructure investment to get the flows in the right direction, to get the sources sorted out. And, and, and there just isn't enough money going in at the moment. There will be, I believe, as the pressing need becomes so apparent. The other thing, incidentally, is it's not just supply of uh, electricity and other forms of energy, it's demand as well. Every day we go around a city and there's useless lighting. You know, lots of office buildings with nobody in them are fully lit. Uh, lots of people idling in cars. Lots of people 
uh, you know, spending time doing things during the day that could be done at night to levelize demand. So lots of things need to be sorted, and, and I think there will be tools and techniques to allow people to do that. So demand management well, is... Well, let's very- hope, but... Yeah, well, hu- human behavior may be always the hardest hurdle to overcome. So far, so good. I guess I'll see you in Houston in a few weeks, Lord Brown. Appreciate the time. We'll dig more into it. Thank you very much. All right, $800 billion, folks, extra spent on energy. All right, coming up, the latest developments on the story captivating America. Another high-altitude, unidentified flying object shot down over American airspace. Eamon Jivers is here with what the heck we know, what we don't, and maybe where this goes from here. Stick around. Welcome back now to a developing story and the one that we and likely much of America is watching closely for the third time in four days. The fourth time in nine days, the American military shot down an unidentified high altitude flying object. The latest was over Lake Huron yesterday between Michigan and Canada. Fighter jets and even a refueling plane were launched from Wisconsin to eliminate the object. Eamon Javers joining us now from Washington. And Eamon, you and I going back and forth yesterday on text on this. What a story. Right. Yeah. Good morning, Brian. A U.S. F-16 fighter jet fired a single Sidewinder missile at 2.42 p.m. yesterday, dropping the unknown object into Michigan's Lake Huron. So far, at least, though, there's no explanation from the military of what exactly this object was, other than a description officials provided of an octagonal object with strings hanging from it, but with no discernible payload. It was traveling at an altitude of about 20,000 feet. Now, the military is expected to try to recover the object from the frigid lake waters in the coming days. This unprecedented spate of encounters began on February 4th when a U.S. F-22 Raptor shot down a Chinese surveillance balloon off the coast of South Carolina. On Friday, the U.S. military shot down a, quote, high altitude object, unquote, in Alaskan airspace. The White House described that object as flying at an altitude of roughly 40,000 feet and as being roughly the size of a small car. Then on Saturday, a U.S. fighter jet shot down a second unidentified object over Canada. It's just not clear where the latest three objects came from, who sent them, or what their intent was. It seems clear, though, that the White House will be under a lot of pressure to provide answers to all this as the week goes on, Brian. I've got 100 questions and not enough time. Yeah, are we going to get, I mean, when can we expect to get some real information? They're having these press conferences, not on camera. The Pentagon, they're just giving us kind of basic facts. I guess the U.S. government, at least as far as they're telling us, is just as confused as we are. Yeah, I mean, they they are not offering any real explanations here. Part of the challenge is that U.S. and Canadian forces need to get to the areas where these objects were shot down in the north. And it's so cold and so remote up there uh, that that is going to be a challenge. We also have a challenge of fishing whatever it was that was shot down out of Lake Huron in the middle of February. That's going to be a difficult challenge, too, practically. Uh, So more answers waiting for that. But we saw one of the top generals uh, was asked yesterday, uh, look, you know, are you ruling out aliens here? And he said, look, I'm going to leave that up to the intelligence community. I'm not ruling anything out now. Uh, And the Pentagon walked that back a little bit after that general said that and said, well, we don't see any indication that it is aliens. So uh, so it's not that or maybe not that. 
And that's we, it. And the Chinese, we don't know. We the launched the Chinese a, government we, last night said, I was just going to say, the Chinese government last night said uh, they have no information on the three unidentified objects either. So take that for what it's worth. I think they've claimed to shoot down one themselves in their airspace. We launched a Sentry aircraft, which is that one with the big satellite dish, effectively the radar on top. I followed its path on flight radar yesterday. You and I going back and forth. We launched a strato tanker refueling plane. When, when we fire up an F-16, it's probably a couple hundred grand of fuel. The missiles, 400,000. I mean, we're spending a lot of money on this. Yeah. Uh, these airplanes have significant camera capability. I, I find it, and I spoke with two aviation executives yesterday, I find it, including one former naval pilot, I find it impossible to believe that the government does not have the video from these fighter jets. There's no way the fighter jets are going up, blowing these things up without taking a look at what they are and maybe getting something on camera. Is it possible, Eamon, we could get some kind of video of these soon? Because I, I can assure you, we are not blowing these up, at least according to people I'm talking to, that know military tactics and aviation without getting a check, filming them, and trying to further understand what they are. Right, and, and for the basic reason that you want to be darn sure that they're unmanned before you shoot them down, right? You don't want to accidentally uh, kill somebody, particularly a yeah. civilian. I'm uh, on my way to New Mexico. You know, innocently right? over I mean, Michigan, right? <laughs> Exactly. I mean, you, you can't have that. So they have to take a good look. The government has not released anything yet in terms of pictures, uh, intelligence, details about what these things were. Uh, presumably, they're waiting to get the wreckage to really look at it so they understand what they're dealing with. But put all this in context, Brian, yeah. of the uh, UFO report that came out in January. The U.S. government has said there are unidentified flying objects in U.S. airspace, 171 of them that they're looking at as totally unidentified uh, incidents that where U.S. military pilots reported seeing yeah. these objects in the air, not shooting them down over the last year, but seeing them. And the U.S. military has said publicly it is stumped about what these things are. So it's a mystery, Brian. Theories out there from China testing our radar to like some promotional thing for U2's unidentified sphere in the yeah. air ad that we saw yesterday. I mean, Maybe. they're just letting these things Maybe run it's rampant. Just Bono on the edge. Yeah, I, that's clearly not it. But there, I'm telling you, that it's the internet. It's, everything's out there. Eamon, thank you. Wow. Yeah. All right, as we had to break during yeah. February, we are celebrating Black Heritage with some of our CBC teammates, contributors, and business leaders. Here's former BET CEO. And leading Women Defined founder, Deborah Lee. Growing up in the segregated South uh, emphasized to me at a young age the importance of being an African-American woman. Uh, I've always been very proud of my heritage, proud of our history, proud of all we've accomplished. And one of my greatest desires life was to be successful and to be able to give back to my community. I'm very proud of being able to do that, and I hope that it has had an impact uh, on the rest of the world. All right, welcome back. Here's your market menu for this week. Today, you get the Europe's latest look at their economy. Tomorrow, that is the biggie. That is the consumer inflation number after some revised data we got last week shows that inflation remains hot. Wednesday, retail sales and Empire State Manufacturing as well as industrial production. Thursday, we get more inflation data. This on the production side, the producer price index as well as some earnings 
And then John Deere's numbers are out on Friday. All right. Let's tie it all together and welcome in one of our favorite guests. That is Joyce Chang, chair of global research at J.P. Morgan Chase. Uh, Joyce, uh, welcome back. Uh, good to have you on. I'm going to ask you a question which I, I can't ever imagine having asked you or anybody else uh, mm-hmm. because it's just so bizarre. But I, but I have to, which is well, you just heard our prior segment with Eamon. Is it possible that if we find out this is some sort of thing coming from the Chinese government, all these objects, is it possible that that these this this situation does become a a market mover if 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 it ramps up geopolitical tension or is that just completely bonkers? No, I, I think this is going to um, ramp up the tensions again. It already has to some degree because they really had come down after the G20 summit in Bali. There was a sense that both Biden and she were really trying to bring down the tensions. But the longer this goes on, um, I think the more questions are going to come out about that. You know, the visit that has been postponed by Blinken. Um, and I think that other things will be delayed and postponed. So I don't think this is going to leave our radar as easily as we thought when this whole issue first emerged. Um, and, you know, the tensions um, are ones that are going to stay with us over the medium and the longer term. I mean, this is a strategic competition. It's very much focused on national security, military issues, um, and um, defense issues, as well as tech issues, advanced tech issues. So I don't think this is necessarily going to leave the headlines that easily. Okay, yeah, I'm gl- thank you for not telling me my question was insane. But, I mean, you've got this 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 crazy situation going on. If we find out it was some kind of Chinese sort of excursion or whatever, radar testing, whatever it may be, you just wonder, you know, you wake up one day and, and Dow futures are down a couple of hundred points. Okay, outside of that, assuming maybe this just kind of goes away, what is the most important thing, economic number, event, what have you, to you and your team? I mean, look, we're still overweight on China equities, and the reopening trade is still one that has quite a lot further to play out. I mean, now we are looking at growth in China for the year at, you know, 5.6%. I mean, that's materially higher than what we had thought before. And a lot of the tourism and travel and commodities stand to do well here. And what we're seeing is that the China reopening remains more durable than I think the European lift. And there are certainly more concerns, um, you know, about the U.S. right now that, you know, even though we may get a slowdown, you know, the pause is going to take longer and maybe we won't even get a pause. Maybe we will be looking at a terminal rate that still needs to move higher, uh, given the focus on the stronger U.S. data and the inflation numbers and the wage pressures that continue. Yeah, if, if we get the OK, so we had the revision for the December inflation number. We got that revision late last week, showed that, we, you know, a lot of the things we hear about inflation Maybe not accurate because inflation stayed hot, at least as far as the data goes, Joyce. What happens tomorrow? And I know you're not a short-term thinker necessarily, but what happens tomorrow if the CPI number comes in red hot? And what happens tomorrow if the CPI comes in ice cold? Well, look, we're looking still at two more um, Fed hikes, 25 basis points each. But I think you could reinvigorate a debate on where does the terminal rate need to be? The market had settled on 5%, but is it possible that it needs to be higher? So you have the bumper U.S. jobs report for January. Um, you know, that um, has you know, raised some hopes that the U.S. economy may have avoided recession. But I think that, you know, the question is, I mean, are you going to actually need more tightening here? ahead and will the signaling and the communication need to reflect that 
So we've seen um, Treasury yields move markedly higher over the last um, you know couple of days, and that could continue. Yeah, I mean, and that's going to be the theme. But okay, so we got more rate hikes in your forecast in March, and then one again in May, and then theoretically we're done. Terminal rate probably what five and a half percent, maybe a little bit higher, maybe a little bit lower. Then what, Joyce? And I, I hate you know we're always looking for the next thing, but the Fed will want at some point will come off the headlines. Rate hikes will be over. What's the next 12 months after that going to be focused on? I, I think the market's going to ask, was the first quarter of the year actually the high point? Are we going to see the earnings um, have to come down here? That We will see that some of this excess savings will come down as well. And we're looking for slower growth, um, even if the U.S. economy does avoid a recession. So I think the question may very well be that did we have this very front-loaded rally because we had a number of turning points that were unexpected. China's earlier than expected reopening, the very warm winter in Europe and the lower gas prices. And then also in, in Japan, the surprise move in um, in Japan, where you know the stronger dollar story has also gone through some revisions. So I think many people may ask if the first quarter was necessarily a high point. And then we see some of these medium and longer term risk uh, slow down, earnings forecasts coming down, profit margins coming down in the second half of the year. Yeah. Um, here's what I worry about, Joyce. I, I look at consumer credit data, and maybe I'm a little bit scarred still for the financial crisis and what have you. Nearly a trillion revolving credit. Much of that is credit cards, auto loans, mortgages. Most of them are fixed. I get it. But the inflation on the consumer credit side, I know we've gotten wage gains, but are the wage gains enough to mitigate the massive jump in just debt service costs that Americans are likely to have in months, quarters, and years ahead. I just don't see how we keep putting everything on credit cards forever. Or am I being, again, just a chicken little? Yeah, no, I I mean, look, I think that the consumer still is in a stronger position than they were in 2019. But remember, we had this massive excess savings cushion that was more than $2 trillion at the beginning of, 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 um, you know, at at, at the beginning of of, of last year. And this has come down. And by the second half of the year, that will have been, um, you know, really evaporated. So I do think that you're right to focus on um, just the strength of the consumer, because that's ultimately what's going to determine, you know, what, whether we have a recession and what kind of recession that that's going to be. And the excess savings cushion has really been um, you know, a buffer yep. um, over the last year and a half. Got to, got to wrap it up there. Joyce Chang, really appreciate it. Thank you so much, folks. Everybody, thanks for watching. That does it for us. See you tomorrow. Squawk starts right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 